This episode is sponsored by our friends at Dukan. Launch your online store in 30 seconds. No coding or design skills required. Whether you are a small business trying to go online, a teacher looking to set up digital presence, or you just want to sell a goat, Dukan is your one-stop solution. At the start of the pandemic, when small businesses were struggling, Dukan helped over a million merchants move from offline to online. Founder of Dukan is also Billion Moonshots alumni. He shared his story of making $25,000 per month in college to now building a $100 million startup. So start your 14-day free trial now at mydukan.io. Josh, so you started your career at Morning Brew as a product manager, where you learned about being a smooth operator, and now you're building smooth media, where you partner with creators to build media businesses. So let's go way back. You went to school with the founders of Morning Brew. What made you quit your job at PwC to go full-time with Morning Brew? Oh, we're going way back. This is These are great memories. I So yeah, I was at University of Michigan. My friends Austin and Alex had started Morning Brew and senior year of college when things started to get a little bit easier. Uh, Austin had brought me into some work. I was always interested. I was always around. And I, next thing I know, I'm, I'm helping with a couple projects here and there. I, I technically had interned that summer prior to my full-time job starting at PwC. And I was very easily hooked. It was, it was a great team. It was a really cool product at the time. There's a lot of excitement. I knew I always wanted to work with startups or was always interested in it at least, but never really knew how to get into it or, or what would happen. So even though I did go to my full-time job, where actually Tyler Dink, I don't know if his episode's going to come out before or after mine, but he had a consulting job offer at the same time. And he decided to not take the consulting offer and stay at Morning Brew and continue building the tech out. I said, actually, I'm going to go try it. I committed to the job. Let's see what happens. But you fast forward a year and I, I was traveling to Seattle every week. I was sitting in, in all sorts of different rooms with big companies and a lot of different coworkers. And on Fridays, I'd go back and hang out with the morning routine. I was like, this is so much more fun. This is so much more exciting. And it was always this distraction in my head. So as the company was ready to go from the one day, one, the one newsletter sent five times a week, I had a couple of pivotal conversations with Austin and Alex where I was like, hey, like, I think I could help out. I think I could help launch some new products. I think I could be an extension of, of the business and strategy team. And they humored me for no real reason. They were just like, they believed in me for some reason, gave me the opportunity. And two weeks later, I was pulling up a chair and going in every day and just started working. So it really wasn't that much of, of a big thought process. It was just steering into something that would excite me when I would wake up in the morning. That's really cool how the entire team came together. But I'm curious. So uh, at that point of time, were you like good friends or did you just knew that, okay, these guys are doing something cool? We, we were friends. Yeah, we, we are friends. We have a lot of overlap in our communities from Michigan. Uh, and so it was just, it was easy. It was cool. I, we, we knew each other really well. They knew who I was. They knew what I was going to be into. And that was it. Yeah, it, it was really awesome and easy to jump right in. Interesting. And how was the team back then? Give me a story of working with the founders, Alex and Austin, and executing all these crazy ideas that you had. Yeah, so by the time I had joined, there was basically one of everything. So there, oh, there were two writers, Kinsey and Neil. There was one salesperson, there was one head of growth, who's Jenny, who's now my co-founder, uh, and Kinsey, we also work together and we're co-founders. There was, uh, I'm forgetting, there was a copywriter, her name was Kate, she was amazing, and I'm pretty sure that Tyler was there, and that might have been it. And so it was a really small team, everybody was super, super smart, we were all very early in our career. I like to joke that none of us really knew what we were doing, it's not like we had come from other legacy media companies, we were all fairly new out of school, but everybody knew how to do what they were supposed to do, and did what did the work like you never had to be like hey did you finish that when you said you were going to everybody was like yeah of course i did did you of course let's keep going so austin and alex to their credit kept things really really simple in the early days we would just say we did three things we would write a newsletter sell a newsletter and grow a newsletter and so those three things kept everybody very laser focused on what their job was and people there i mean everyone's doing really cool things now years later 
working together still and helping each other. So it was an amazing start to a company. And I, to their credit, they recruited an awesome team and we, we did it. <laughs> I don't, I think it was just a lot of smart people focused on the same problem. Yeah, definitely an awesome team. What do you think they were doing right in terms of hiring? They were very careful. They never rushed anything. Uh, we didn't have a lot of turnover in the early days. So everybody was really committed to it. Everybody was incentivized really well. Uh, it, it was good. I mean, we we worked really hard together for a very long time. It wasn't an accident that the newsletter went well that morning group grew to what it is. Uh, Alex is very creative, is a great engaging leader that can rally a room. Austin is very analytical and very disciplined. And I think the two of them having very different qualities, but very great qualities allowed them to lead the team the right way. Really cool. And now you were part of launching the Morning Group podcast, Business Casual. Podcast growing is definitely super difficult. How difficult was it back then when you guys were just starting out? Our dirty little secret is that we had a multi-million person email list. So it's really hard to grow a podcast. It's not as hard to grow it when you have that many and you have an amazing host. So right. we had already, Kinsey and I had actually worked together to launch three or four newsletters over the, three newsletters over the course of our time. So we'd already done Emerging Tech Brew, which Ryan Duffy, another guest of the show had been writing. We had launched Retail Brew with Haley the Savage. And so Kinsey and I had a good muscle on how to start from scratch and with an idea and say, okay, let's go from this vague cloud of an idea to a real media product. And so when it came time to do a podcast, her and I basically disappeared for a summer and came back with a show. When we first interviewed our coworkers, then we interviewed our friends that were cool business leaders. Then we had Scott Galloway for the first episode. So we had a lot of great support and launching it with excitement around the Morning Brew brand gave us a really good launch pad. And so it's it's obviously, I wish I could tell you we knew every secret to grow, but it's, it's really good editorial. You do have to leverage other media products when growing a podcast because there's no algorithm. So starting a podcast with zero audience and not using TikTok or Reels or YouTube or, some, or even a newsletter makes it a little bit harder because discovery, which is a whole topic I'm happy to chat a lot about. Uh, but, but to your point, really good product, consistent products, consistent narrative, put in the newsletter a lot, and then it grew to millions and millions of downloads and really awesome guests. Definitely. And what's the secret sauce of getting awesome guests? I'm also constantly uh, working towards different strategies, but yeah, what was for you? For us, persistence and patience were really on our side. So you might say, hey, I really want to get this big name on the show. And we'll say, great, let's start now. And hopefully this time next year, they'll be on it. And once you start right. to change your mind around it that way and say, maybe they'll have a book that comes out. Maybe something will change in the world. And maybe we'll do something that catches their eye or we'll just ask four or five times politely. And then they'll all of a sudden make time in their busy schedule. Uh, we'll get to know PR people. So I think in media, a lot of the time people are looking for silver bullets. And for us, mm -hmm. the reality has just been persistence and trying a lot of different things at once, DMing, networking. It was like, yeah, there was like seven or eight strategies that I would constantly deploy with our team. And that is what ended up working. It was just hard work and, and multiple attempts. Definitely. I definitely want to know like a cool story or story of getting a big name on the podcast that you were super excited about. So for context, my big name was just, I think last week we had founder of Razorpay. He's the founder of a $7.5 billion startup in India. Like if you are in India, you know what Razorpay is. Every small business is using it. And yeah, like it was a constant, it was a mixture of referral. It was a mixture of con consistently like, you know, DMing their PR people and finally locking it. So it took mm -hmm. a good one month of th that. But yeah, I want to know a good story of yours, like locking a big name. Oh, wow. Good question. I have to go way back. This feels like ages ago now. <laughs> I'm really realizing how many months have passed since we were doing this. Mark Cuban obviously sticks out. Okay. Alex was really the one that was working on Mark for a very long time before the podcast was even a thing. He always wanted to collaborate and he would find his assistant. He would find out how to get to Mark directly. We would get our hopes up. Something would change. Shark Tank would be producing. So we had to wait a couple of months. 
But I remember being sitting next to him and I'm always being like, I'm going to go email Mark again. Didn't really overthink it, wrote a couple of good lines, fired it off. And then one day I was like, all right, yeah, he's in for this time, make it work, make it happen. And so that was really appreciated. And since then, Mark has worked with Kinsey on a couple episodes, which is really cool that there's now a relationship. Uh, there's a couple others. Ray Dalio was awesome, but that was working with his PR team. Uh, Ariana Huffington was really cool. The, a lot of these, I got to say, Fat Jewish was a great guest. I forget how we got to him. Uh, that's, that's the example I'm going to go with. I might have to come back to you with some better stories because I feel like I'm overlooking some cool moments that we had. We'd also right. done everything in person. So when we had opened up an email, we'd go, when are you getting to New York? When's the next time you're going to be in New York? And now we do everything like how we're doing it now over the internet. And so once the pandemic started, the number the types of guests that we could get on changed dramatically. And so that was a really eye-opening experience to be like, I can't believe we ever had that false guardrail in our head to say we couldn't do anybody digitally. We did it with somebody who's a big advocate of work from home. And that was our only remote interview. And it made sense because he was a big advocate of the topic. And now everything we do is, is like this. So it's, it's funny how quickly the world changes. That is super interesting. Now, Josh, for me, I am a process person. I believe you are like being a smooth operator means being a process person. You have to put everything in process. Uh, I really focused on making sure that the entire process of booking to actually having the podcast is smooth. But I actually want to learn from you because you worked with the best people. Uh, I'm curious. So what do you, how do you think about the post-podcast process? So how do you make sure the relationship is good? Not in a way where, okay, you cannot expect them to be your like you know buddies where you just ping them that, hey, how's your day going? And they can respond to you, like Mark Cuban will respond to you. But how do you make sure that you are still somewhere building a good relationship with them. I had a process, but now I'm trying to build a new process for working with these super busy people. Uh, how do you think about that? It's a tough one. It's, I think beyond just having a podcast, it's once you do something cool with somebody, how do you keep them in the loop? And, and I think that's where I've learned a lot about social media over the past bit for myself. I, I'm not a podcast host. I'm not a creator. I'm not somebody whose job it is to post on the internet, but there's a very healthy balance between posting enough of yourself or engaging with other people's posts to keep them just simply reminded that you exist, but also right. dedicating real time to planning little dinners and trying to make connections when I can and introducing friends to each other that might be able to benefit from each other. So I think that's like a very wishy-washy, like just be a participant in the network that you live in type of advice, but it's paid off dramatically as we've started this new company and so many people have been so gracious to us. And, and I, I hope it's because we've just been members of a community in a, in a very real way, not in the buzzwordy way that we pay $10 a month for something in the way that the way we try and look after people, we help people hire other people we know, we try and help people get jobs. Uh, so, so I think that like, thankfully the way that my team is built right now and the way even it was built at Morning Brew is that I always had some agency to go get a coffee chat in the middle of the day to, to go out of my way and let that be something I spend time on. And, and I'm really happy that that happened accidentally because it's, it's helped me a lot so far. So I don't know if that's not, I think that again, for a process, it's like for processes, like if I can just make sure I have time to do that, that's part of my process. It's not steps one through 10 that I have to follow right. in order to get that result. I think a big process is, is leaving time open actually. Exactly. Like, yeah, everything is a process. Everything you think on efficiency, but finally when it comes to building a relationship, yeah, that's where it's like a lot of things going on. Uh, now let's talk about this. So what's the origin story of smooth ops? And now which is now about smooth media. Smooth media. A lot of people didn't really get the ops thing, so now we're doing smooth media. Uh, right. Then you have the whole smooth operator piece. Anyway, I'll explain. So after Morning Brew got sold, I started to look around and go, wow, I went, what's the rest of the world look like? The world is bigger than Morning Brew. I, it's much bigger. It's crazy. It's a big world out there. And what we're realizing is creators, this, this influencer to creator evolution has been awesome for so many people on the internet because they've gotten to build this crazy audience people that are really interested in what they're doing, but because the creator who started it has to focus so much on keeping up with the content, being a creative, changing it up, enjoying themselves, putting their brain in a place where they can make something cool and interesting and engaging, that the business part is sometimes 
hard or overlooked. It, it's just, it's not the same skill set. It's hard for everybody to get at everything. And so I quit my job and started consulting for different creators saying like, Hey, like, can I just help you think from a business end? I didn't know a lot about talent management and talent agencies out in Los Angeles or, or in other parts of the country. I was just like, let me pretend this is a media business like I've already been doing and see how far we go. And so I met some really awesome partners, got to do that and realized, Hey, like there might be a business on our hands here. So I would call Jenny every day and I'd say, Jenny, who was the head of growth at morning, I'd say, Jenny, what do I do? How do I do this? What do you think I should do? And I would subliminally try and recruit her and say, Hey, when are you going <laughs> to join me on this? I, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I know that I've found some opportunity where people with large audience and very creative ambition need some more infrastructure. They need partners. We need, they need operators. And so a couple of months later, she was like, okay, I'm in. And I forgot that I was recruiting her because I was just telling her the latest story of the week. She goes, okay, I'm in. So, oh, amazing. Okay. Let's build a company around this. So, so we launched the company in August of 2021. So we're about to hit our, our one year mark. And it went from saying very vaguely, and we kept it very general at first, we're going to help creators operate their business. And then as we really learned, and we've seen the different parts of the creator economy and how wide it is and how many different types there are, we actually are much better. And in our heads, always thought of ourselves as building more media companies and building editorial products, more YouTube channels, newsletter, podcasts, et cetera, specifically in niche areas. And so it's, it's a great opportunity for niche media, for one, which is similar to what we were doing at Morning Brew. It's a great opportunity be for creators and people that are, are social first content creators. And so we're trying to put that together and build a portfolio of really awesome media companies. And that's what Smooth Media is. And I can obviously go into depth about some of our partners and our model and everything, but we're, we're really excited to be in it. And we like media a lot. We're here, we're here to stay. Definitely. I want to know more about the first creator that you approached that, hey, I think you specifically mentioned, uh, I think there's a quote you mentioned, tweet is like our COO, your chief operating officer, we are not your manager, we are not your agent, we're working together to help build your business. So what was the story behind reaching out to that first creator and how did that go? And how did that validate your hypotheses? Totally. Well, that articulation really came after we had already started to do that work, which would made it a lot easier to come up with the copy for that right. site. <laughs> and, and as I was quitting Morning Brew, Alex Lieberman, the CEO, he, he would always get introduced to incredible people and some, given how busy he was, sometimes he would just say, hey, talk to Josh instead. And there was a particular duo, Colin and Samir, who were thinking about really committing to the creator niche. So it's very meta, but it's Colin and Samir who had been working together for, for 10 years effectively, uh, had already been covering creators and people on YouTube and started to see the opportunity to really focus on it. So we had a couple of conversations. I didn't have a job at the time. I was just, I was back home in Miami. I was doing some work here and there. I was working on a guide to podcasting. And, and just the conversations went really well. And I, I love working with them. I think we hit it off right off the bat. You'll have to ask them and, and confirm your sources. Uh, but I think it's gone well so far for the past year and a half where by helping them scale their team, focus a little bit, be a bit more consistent in certain ways, we've opened up the floodgates to growth there. And, and again, because it's so meta, we've met so many creators through their channel and through their group. And, and so that, that really just, we've had so many conversations, but they helped me understand what the service I really providing was. And and that's, that's how we started going with the first partners. We just, you know, since January of 2021 have been on this crazy streak of growing with them and growing with our other partners. And we haven't looked back since. So we, we actually don't do a lot of marketing. I haven't really gone on offense that much. We, we just continue to look around and say, wow, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on on the internet and we're lucky enough to get to play a part in it. That's really cool. So 
Colin and Samir, I think I recently found them. Uh, like recently, I watched their first Mr. Beast video. Uh, that entire video blew up. I think it has around 11 million views, I guess. 11 to 15 million views, some, somewhere around that. And then I kept on watching that. Okay, these guys are doing something really cool. Uh, if there are cool creators on YouTube, uh, their business is good. And there, there are always going to be some cool creator stories. And they're just covering them in a quick podcast sort of documentary sort of thing. Uh, and I, I saw that they grew really fast, but really like j- just uh, within the last six months, I think they grew from 200 to now 800,000 followers. So what is the contribution of smooth media in that growth? We, we helped put them in a place where they could do their best work. The guys are amazing. They're incredible. Produ- they're everything. They're producers, they're writers, they're the talent. They have an awesome group of, of five or six around them. Uh, so I helped them hire a production manager. We made sure that there was a short form editor that was only focused on short clips. Uh, and so that team of, of Chris and Jesse and Marilyn and Tyga, I hope I'm not missing anybody, but they're really good. So between them plus Colin and Samir, we said, hey, let's try and put out a weekly show. Let's try and be consistent. Let's sell ads into it and let's let's commit to it. So for the past eight months or so, and we're changing things up now as you have to keep evolving, we just said, let's let's be organized. Let's be simple. Let's plan ahead. Let's think about what the episodes three months from now might be. And let's have a weekly meeting that kicks it off and make sure it happens. So it's been incredibly hard work. They've really gone pedal to the metal. It's, it's incredible to see how hard and we have to change it up so you can still have your, your space to be creative. But that, that really was it. It wasn't a piece of technology. It wasn't some secret answer. They, they knew how to, they are creators, the whole mantra. And we made ourselves remember it and say, to, you know, every morning when you wake up, it's by creators for creators. So you stay really true to it. You're not doing VC trends. You're not doing macro reports. You're saying, if you're creating a video for Colin and Smear when they were just getting started on YouTube, what would they want to hear? What, what do they need to hear? How can we build roadmaps that would inspire them? And while I like to think I was a thought partner for a lot of that, it's, it's them. It's they, they did the hard work. We just, we build those processes. We build those operations and we, we make sure people stick to it. That's really cool because now I think I can see it because I, I consistently follow them. They are doing some really good documentaries now. Uh, I'm curious. So they are right now promoting a lot about Jelly Smack. What is the difference between Jelly Smack and Smooth Op or Smooth Media? They look very much similar to me from the outside. <laughs> Smooth Media is a recent startup. Jelly Smack is a behemoth. That's, that's the big okay. thing. We love our friends at Jelly. Jelly Smack is very much powered by technology and really great editors that will cut up content that you make and put it on all different platforms. So that's their creator program. We do a lot of advertising with them, so I know they pitch perfectly. <laughs> they also have a catalog finance program that if you're a YouTuber and you're creating AdSense revenue, they can provide you in advance and effectively license your content. So the, the long tail money that they get, they, they receive it instead. So anyway, they're, they're a very large company. They have many departments. They, they bought other companies and they, to me, are really like a platform for creators to plug into from a, a true services department, like department. So they might take a creator to Snapchat or to Facebook. And that's really awesome and really high, high level intricate stuff. And they're doing great for us. We look at ourselves more so as a, a publisher. So there's the industry dives of the world, even morning brews, managing a couple different brands right now. And we too want to be able to manage a couple media companies within our portfolio. So sometimes I think we're more like a private equity shop that is helping improve assets and run them and potentially sell one at a time or sell the bundle of them at the end of the day. But my, my mentality is we're building a private equity platform. So we're going to have, somebody that helps with hiring, somebody that helps with sales. And so as each independent media company grows, they can be more independent, but in that early stage period or during certain inflection points, we come in and we make sure we come in as that expert team to evolve the media company. So that's where we're a bit different than the behemoth and the, the superpower that is Jelly Smack. And I, I really admire what they've built, but they're very tech forward and moving a lot more dollars than we are. We'll, we'll get there one day. 
Definitely, definitely. Uh, I'm curious. So who is your target creator right now? From what I understand is you are basically reaching out to creators who are not looking to just stay independent, but looking to build a business around their brand. And you are basically helping them build a long-term strategy for their brand. Uh, so yeah, who is your target customer right now or target creator? You, you had most of it. Most of it is, is, is there an opportunity? Is there an opportunity in the market? And so that's the first one. So we work, you know, the creator economy is growing dramatically. We work in cryptocurrency, uh, the music of business. Business is changing a lot. We're getting into a couple that we'll talk about in a couple months from now. And those categories have a lot of professionals coming into it. They have a lot of money coming in. There's a lot of activity. There's things to talk about. And so that has to be there. There's a lot of interesting spaces, but if there's already a media company that's crushing it, if there's if it's stale, that, that means a lot. And then on the creator side, we want to partner with a creator that is really interested in building a media company or, or doing it alongside us. And so that means committing a couple of years. That means wanting to build and manage a team. Uh, that means being excited to have more editorial products that are extensions of their voice. And as far as stage, we really look for content market fit, which is a term that Colin and Samir have really defined very well, which is when the creator likes making the content, the audience likes making the content and the algorithm likes it. And you can tell in the comments, you can tell in the growth, it doesn't need to be millions and millions, but you can start to see that there's real fit and there's real traction. And we want to make sure that we come in around that moment or right after it. Uh, we're not really in the business in helping unproven creators reach that moment. There's other friends of ours that are building companies that are going to help creators get to that content market fit and then beyond. We're, we're a bit later stage, more of like a growth stage partner. Uh, and so that experience and, and even I think creators, they, I want to see them that they've done it for a year plus. Uh, people get distracted. People change their mind. I, I like to make sure that they're going to wake up and not say, oh, I want to go into a completely different profession or a completely different thing, or I've run out of ideas. And, and that just happens in the creator economy with people that have shown, hey, this is what I want my career to be. I'm looking for partners to make this something really, truly meaningful. That's where we like to come in and say hi. That's interesting. So you want to see that, uh, like, are you looking for them to be doing this full time? Definitely. Definitely. Okay. And that's something that we had looked at early on where we would meet people that are running a business and also have a following. And we're like, oh, that's interesting because they're this and that. At the end of the day, we're, we're doing this full time. We're employing a full time team. We're hiring a lot of people. And, and this takes it, it to be a lot of people's priority. And, and in, the creator definitely needs to be focused on it full time for what we're doing to work. Definitely. That's that's very interesting. So you are coming in there when they already have that content market fit and helping them scale. Exactly. And then sometimes it's a matter of matching a business model to a creator. A lot of creators have audience and they're saying, maybe I should sell courses. Maybe I should do live stuff. Maybe I should sell product and merch. And again, I think there's a lot of people we've met that specialize in each of those things that I just mentioned. Certain creators, I believe, have an amazing opportunity to build a media brand that can live beyond them. And we want to be that go-to partner for that type of creator. And along the way, if somebody's a better fit for merch, they'll say, hey, go talk to our friends at Warren James or go talk to our friends at whatever. Uh, for courses, there's a great friend who does course studio. And so everyone's starting to specialize and you're starting to see an economy really get built that can service creators. And so we know that we want to be very specific to our place and not try and be everything to every creator. Right. And now you definitely have studied the creator economy a lot. You have looked at the major trends. What, how are you seeing it evolving right now? Oh, it's a good time to be a content creator. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> On one hand, the, the barrier of entry is very low. A lot of people have phones, internet connections, that's getting bigger and better. 
the platforms are putting a lot of money in. So you look at the, the Facebook meta properties. I don't like calling the meta. That's a whole different rant for a different time. But you look at Instagram, you look at TikTok, you look at YouTube, you look at what's going on in podcasts and newsletter. And, and we're all becoming more digitally native. One of my favorite stats, which I'm going to remember and butcher the right numbers on, but like radio advertising relative to podcast advertising is still a, a factor of like five or six X. Saw another headline that print news is now equal to digital news as far as ad revenue. So we're still very early days for a lot of these bigger budgets and a lot of these bigger industries to being truly native to what we're talking about. So that's one part of the answer. The other is that finding an audience when you're putting out quality content has never been easier because of viral feeds. And this is something I think we still haven't fully registered that Reels, TikTok, and YouTube Shorts are crazy technologies. The way that they shoot your content out to anywhere and it's on an algorithmic graph rather than a social graph is really different. And so that's a super exciting opportunity for all these different niche areas to be built out and for audiences of all different types to find each other. And, and then so that, that really is, is crazy. And then you get into the monetization and I'll, I'll stop rambling now, but there's all these different forces that make it a very cool time to be in the creator economy, to be in digital media. I think even from an outside the business lens, being in the business of information is, is riveting. There's so many things going on in the world and being somebody and being a part of an economy that can say, hey, let's put out content that's actually good for you. So there's no fake news. It's not a lot of dancing. It's not a lot of garbage. It's more sophisticated. It's smarter. It's wholesome. And, and I think having that impact, while it's a very small fraction of the internet, I like to think that we're, we're creating better communities and better environments digitally than what could happen without people that have certain values. So there, there's a, that's a lot of different things that I just threw at you, but happy to go into any of them or, or yeah, I, I love it. Definitely. I think I've seen you repeating a lot this particular sentence where you mentioned that the world is huge, there's a lot of money out there. I think that's a great way to motivate creators that, hey, you're not competing against other creators for ads. Uh, if you build trust with a brand, they would be down to put money on you. I think I'm seeing that for myself. Uh, I recently, I believe now I have closed four to five sponsorships. I'm a very small creator. I'm doing this for fun. I'm making smart friends. That was the goal. And yeah, it's really interesting to see that I'm not competing with anyone. I really built trust with these founders and they were down to pay money to me uh, and they were not looking for anyone else in the market. It's just that they built trust with me or I built trust with them. So I'm curious to know about how are you having this conversation with creators around competition? What are you competing against? Eyeballs, attention, human capital, stuff like that. Yeah, we're very friendly as a company. I like sharing <laughs> ad deals. I like sharing our templates. It, it, yeah, you're right. I don't think there's competition. I don't think it's the right way to compete. If we were selling cars and I knew that you were only going to buy one car, this is a different story. You can have a couple of favorite shows. You can have a couple of different things. And especially in the niche areas that we play in, there's not a lot of creator economy podcasts. There's not that many quality crypto YouTube channels. Uh, we think that it's better because they'll go find audience, we'll cross promote, we'll do it together. And you need thought partners. You need people to spar with and say, hey, you wrote an article about this and I, I think differently, or that was a really good idea and I have something to add. So I think I'm a big fan of collaboration. I think the internet, yeah, to your point is like, it's so big that like you kind of need to collaborate. You want to show people that you have this ring of collaborators around you to, to help network and to help extend yourself. So I kind of got lost in my answer other than saying that like collaboration has been really key to us. And again, yeah, no, I, there's so many ad dollars. It's such a big industry that when we start talking about Super Bowl budgets and when we start talking about like, how much money companies spend on Facebook and Google advertising, we're still very small. So that whole pie just needs to get bigger. And that, that to me is very much in the advertising conversation. I know that there's other business models at play that aren't purely predicated on advertising, but that is the majority of what the internet's built off of. Definitely. How have you structured the revenue model of smooth media? Great question. It's a lot of people's favorite question about us because it's not that obvious. We have a mix of revenue shares and equity deals. 
So my long-term ambition, like I'd mentioned, is to have a portfolio of media assets and, and look a bit like a publisher. We are a bootstrapped company. We haven't raised any money. And for that reason, and also to prove that our model actually works, we've done a couple revenue share deals that build trust with the creator. So it says, hey, I'm pretty sure I know what I'm doing. We've built a pretty good resume so, so far, but this is new. This is a startup. This is different. So let's, let's only make money together. So when you make money, I make money. And that also allows cash to keep coming in so we can pay our employees so I can keep paying my rent and Jenny can keep paying her rent. And in the long term, we want to start to tip the scales more toward equity deals and thinking longer term than just the cash. So that, that's the answer as to how we make money. It's, it's highly aligned with the creator. And, and that part I really like because I, I do feel like when we win, we win together and it allows us to think really long term and nobody gets hurt. Definitely. And how many creators are you working with right now? Right now we are working with four creators and hopefully okay. we'll be working with seven by the end of the year. Maybe I'll tease that. Yeah. We're going to keep growing. We're going to have more creators by the end of the year. It's exciting. They're awesome. They're people I never thought we'd have the opportunity to business with. And now we are, and we're testing things out. So hopefully you'll see some launches across the internet. I think just having Colin and Samir is a great case study because I personally love them. So it's very interesting to see the work that you guys are doing. Uh, now I believe are you guys also helping out creators with tax situation? Because with so many revenue streams, it gets harder to figure out the tax. And that that is definitely, I believe, one uh, reason why they would love you. Those are the types of things that we make very easy because a lot of it looks very similar. So we have a great accountant in Florida. We love him. He's the man. And we're able to plug in and send him more business from each of these new companies that we're helping start. And he already has the template. So it's very efficient. And all of the issues are the same. So we're able to scale and we're seeing this now that it's been almost a year that whether it's legal with contracts, whether it's accounting, whether it's health insurance for employees, we're getting better at it every time we do it. And that way, everybody else gets those updates as we learn from the market. Uh, so it's not something that I'm doing personally. I think that there's a lot of accountants out there that I'd love to lean on. And, and that way, like creators are not some crazy new business class. They, they have similar revenues and costs to a media company. They have similar revenues and costs to a number of different digital entities that have been around for quite a bit now. And everything's tracked via, we're all using our computers. So it's not like we have that many paper receipts or inventory or factories or things like that. So because it's so simple, I don't want to overcomplicate us doing taxes with creators. It's simply saying, hey, they, they make ad money and they've got a couple costs. So let's make sure we do it proactively that we're actually paying taxes because some creators tend to forget that or overlook that as they get going. Um, so yeah, th those things I, I think we do help a lot with. It's not our core service, but the hope is that we're able to save people a lot of time. Definitely. Uh, I was looking for a lot of help uh, just last month when figuring out everything, all the sponsorships and stuff. And yeah, it's definitely a no-brainer to go with someone who really understands this. Uh, now, you mentioned one thing you want to talk about is the potential for creator-led brands. Are you referring to, let's say, Kylie Jenner creating her own uh, product line and selling that rather than uh, like you know advertising someone else's? Yeah, this is something I've been thinking about over the past couple weeks or so, that we'd like to think of the creator economy as its own economy. And as time goes on and more people, again, become digitally native and it becomes more of an expectation to have some sort of following the same way it's an expectation that you use digital technology, there's not so much a creator economy as it is the, the future of some of these industries might be challenged by creator-led brands. And so the three that I'm most excited in testing this out against over the next, call it five, 10 years, I'd say is education, retail, and media. And I think those three industries in particular, if you have a creator that is either the founder or part of the founding team, you have a massive advantage. It's going to get harder to get attention on the internet. Marketing on the internet is going to get more expensive. And if you have a celebrity, if you have a face that really resonates with your audience base, 
that's a huge game changer. That effectively changes the way you think about your product feedback flywheel, the way you change about, do I need a CMO, how much money you spend in certain places. And so I'm really excited to see more of those. It's starting at the top with the Kardashians and with other big time celebrities. And you're going to start seeing a lot of other people do that in their own little niche areas and with their communities. And we were seeing it, I was just at VidCon last week in Anaheim, it was an awesome conference. And there was this uh, couple who had been on YouTube for a while making kids content, and now they have a retail brand that's sold in Target and Walmart, et cetera. So I'm sure, I'm confident that a lot of people are now buying that product, knowing them or not knowing them, but it is competing with the Hasbros and the other toys of the world because there's just not as much of that creator authenticity. So I think we're going to see that a lot. I'm super excited about it. We'll see if I'm right or not. But that, that is what I mean when I say creator-led brands are probably the future. I think that's definitely true where you said that marketing would be more become more and more expensive because this is, this is something we're seeing in India as well. In India, there was a huge ed tech boom. A lot of ed tech startups popped up. And now because of the money that they started investing in, the profit margins have reduced, the ad costs are super high, and they're struggling. Uh, but I'm curious, you think that there's still market for more if it's a creator-led brand? Definitely, definitely. And it's are we talking about cosmetics? Are we talking about uh, sporting equipment and saying there's somebody who's the biggest creator in rock climbing and they're going to come out with a new rock climbing shoe, then I think they'll beat out a new entrepreneur that doesn't have that audience and that fanfare. So there's unlimited niche areas. One of my favorite, not one of my favorite, I have things that are more fun, but in this context, a really fun activity is to go to your, go to a convention center lineup. You go to like Las Vegas convention center and you look it up all the conventions that have come to town over the past two, three years, go further back because of COVID, but you see why the hell does this have a Las Vegas convention center weekend? You're like, I would have never thought that the plumbers of America come into town and take over Las Vegas for a week. And you go, wait, maybe there's a creator for plumbers. It's a very specific example, but there's so many niche areas. It's it's something that, yeah, we're, we're far from done filling in the blanks of. Interesting. And now let's talk about just building a startup. Like how different is that from being an employee? I personally really enjoy it. It's really hard. It's much harder. <laughs> there's a lot of things you have to learn how to do. Uh, and I, I have a great support system and people that I don't feel like a first time founder all the time because I, I was given such a front row seat at Morning Brew, which I'm really grateful for. And I have partners that I've already worked with and that I think makes it much easier. So I'm privileged in that way. Uh, but it's it's something that I, I believe in as far as like risk and reward. It's like we I have the opportunity to take risk. And so I think that I'm very excited to do that and see if we can create jobs. I think that's like one of the most uh, fulfilling parts of what we've done is been able to hire people and, and what I think is create good working environments and, and we have to keep trying to do that. But but as far as startups, it's it's really funny to see like the Twitter chatter and all the different hacks and all the advice and the raising money and the venture capitalists telling me what to do, even though they've never operated an early stage company. And, and so that gets on my nerves a bit, but but we've we've read some great books, we've been given some good advice, we've had all this experience, we go very slow, we're very organized. And so I like that challenge, like for Jenny and Kinsey and I and Ali and I to build this company and to be very deliberate about the way that we do it and not to have all the funding. So we have to be very scrappy. We have to be very careful with our moves. That that part of it, that strategy I, is really fun for that. That to me is creativity where we work with digital creators who are storytellers and come up with amazing ideas and stitch it together with amazing words and pictures. The idea of putting together a quarterly plan or an annual plan is my creativity and that building my own story to say, what could we do if we did X, Y, and Z is, is really exciting. And, and I like to spend my day doing that. So I, I I've now realized I'm a pretty bad employee. It's I'm much better at doing this mentally. So I'm sure that a lot of people say that, that like they probably become founders. They try and operate startups because like they had that itch and they had to, not just because like they were perfectly happy working in a much bigger company. Right. Generic question, but how does your day look like? Are you basically just spending a lot of like one hour blocks, just creating annual plans or quarterly plans for these creators? Me personally, 
so Jenny and I split more so where I'm on the phone, trying to hire people, trying to do sales deals, trying to talk to the new creators that we're meeting. And Jenny is much more operationally focused, making sure that the, the day-to-day is going really smoothly. So I do end up talking a lot. Um, I try and carve out time to make sure that I can actually go deep on the upcoming product that we're launching to really understand the strategy that we're putting forward. Um, because of the, I'll give you the very literal example, just again, because it's, why not, in this June 28th, we are currently hiring a salesperson because I'm doing a lot of the sales. So my goal for the next six months is by the end of the year, I can really feel like a CEO where I have a team built out that is doing each of those individual functions better than I could because I'm not a trained salesperson. So my goal is to hire people and to make that happen so I can sit back and really manage and think big picture and make sure that everybody's doing well. So hopefully we'll go from, you know, if we check in six months from now, it's like, hey, I'm doing a lot of sales calls in June of 2022, but by December of 2022, it's it's more big picture and, and making sure that the operation is moving forward on a day-to-day basis. Definitely. All right. This was this was a really good conversation. I'm just curious, like, what is the best thing about being in this content industry? Best part of being in this content industry is that it's changing really fast. Anybody that thinks that they know what's going on and is still doing the same thing, our joke is that if you tried to do Morning Brew today, it wouldn't work. You ask anybody that started Morning Brew, Austin, Alex, any of the founding team, you say that that wouldn't work in 2022. You'd have to come up with a new playbook. You got to change it up. The internet is different. And that to me is the exciting part that we're going to be in this space for a long time, but we're going to have to keep learning. We're going to have to keep talking to people. We're going to have to question our assumptions. And, and to me, that's, that's a cool part of it that this is the internet. This is how information works. This is how creative people are expressing themselves and making money. So it's a combination of all those different factors that make it a really fun place to be. Definitely. I think I should also talk about this once. Uh, what do you think about or how often do you have conversation around anxiety and depression? Because exactly you mentioned that uh, things are constantly changing. You just release a video and now you have to start everything from zero for the next video. Uh, so creators are le- dealing with a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, not depression, but a lot of anxiety. Uh, how, how, is that, how does that conversation go? It's different for everybody. What I've found is also a very important part of our jobs is to be really good listeners to the creators that we work with. They have a lot of fans. They have a lot of people that want to work with them. They have a lot of people that want things from them. But if we're not friends and if we're not sounding boards for the people that we work with, then we're just making the problem worse. And so so trying to be really empathetic to that. And I, I know people use empathy in a lot of different ways on the internet and in, in Twitter threads and things like that. But I, I do think that like being flexible if they change their mind, if they can't make a certain meeting because something is happening or if they're excited and they want to keep doing what they're doing, like I think all like you have to build that support team alongside them and know that like they're not alone. I think a lot of the creator burnout and the creator anxiety comes from uncertainty, from not having a community around you. And my hope is that like with our plans and with us building bigger teams that support them and work with them, we're we're at least making it better. We're we're not the solution to the anxieties that come from this, but hopefully we're we're making it better as as things get bigger and there's more practice, more reps. Right. We, we know what it looks like. Right. I was just having a chat with my sister today and this is exactly what it is. Like I was talking like we should have a person who we pay money who could just talk good about us, who could just like, you know, be like, oh, you were great at this. You're great at that. And I think that's a great job. That's a great job. And you need someone like that, especially when you are in this world where things are constantly changing. You have to constantly prove yourself sort of. But Josh, this was really good. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Where can people find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter, jkaplan1. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I have a very weird relationship with social media right now. I'm on all of them. Feel free to message me on any of them. Josh underscore Kaplan underscore on Instagram. I'm sure we can put it in the link in bio, but I'll answer anybody anytime. That's me. All right. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me.